0: Today we're reading Judges chapter 6 and 7. This is the new King James version of the podcast. The King James version is also available. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you, and gave you their land." Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Well, here they are doing it all over again. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. What do you suppose they were doing? Well, what else? They were going after strange gods. We see this in verse 27 in just a few moments. For seven years, they're bullied by the Midianites, like one kid at school stealing another kid's lunch every day. Their harvest, their cattle, everything else of value were scooped up before they could enjoy the fruits of their own labor. The mention of Gaza on the southwest coast of Israel is probably given to emphasize how thorough the devastation from these nomadic tribes really was, all the way from the easternmost part of Israel to the Mediterranean Sea. And given the fact that the tribes which Gideon calls upon to assist in the battle, being the northern tribes, we see that down in verse 35, This was most certainly an aggression against all the tribes of Israel. Israel gets the word from God, though, through a special unnamed prophet. We see him in verses 8 through 11. And he says, your afflictions befall you because you have not obeyed God. So enter judge number five, Gideon. And we read about him in verses 11 through 27, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abba Azarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying... Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, And he brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight." Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you, do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it is still in Ophrah of the Abba Ezarites. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. So we see the angel of the Lord here. He visits Gideon while hiding food from the Midianites at the time. Who was this angel? Well, Gideon addresses him with the word LORD from the Hebrew ADON. But he also addresses him with the word LORD, all caps, from the Hebrew word Yahweh, sometimes pronounced Jehovah. However, any doubt as to this identity of this angel is settled in verses 14, 16, and 23 when we are told that it is definitely the Lord, meaning Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's who is talking to Gideon in this instance. This, by the way, is a pre-incarnate manifestation of God in human form, meaning Jesus himself. I'm convinced that the only physical body that God ever had or ever will have is that of Jesus Christ, if you want to know more about that, then look at my notes on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So, here Gideon gets the fight for God call, but insists on a sign from God first, and gets one. Gideon lays a sacrifice out on a rock, and the angel of the Lord supernaturally consumes it with fire after simply touching it with his staff. He names this new altar in verse 24, Jehovah Shalom, a name which means Jehovah is Peace. That naming is in response to the guarantee in verse 23, peace be with you, being the equivalent of all is well. He's convinced. Now for the marching order. Step one, tear down that altar to Baal and build one for God, which incidentally he does at night. Why? Well, for fear of the wrath of his own family and local neighbors. They love their Baal. The Hebrew word for the New King James Version rendering of wooden image here is Asherah. In the King James Version, it's uh, called the grove or the groves. That's the female counterpart to Baal and another of the gods that they worshipped. Asherah appears frequently throughout the Old Testament. She was considered to be a Canaanite goddess represented by a wooden cult object. He tore down that one as well as used the wood to build his own altar to God. We see in verses 28 to 35 that, in fact, Gideon's neighbors are quite upset about this verse 28 and when the men of the city arose early in the morning there was the altar of Baal torn down and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down and the second bow was being offered on the altar which had been built so they said to one another "Who has done this thing and when they had inquired and asked they said Gideon the son of Joash has done this thing Then the men of the city said to Joash, "'Bring out your son, that he may die, "'because he has torn down the altar of Baal, "'and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it.' But Joash said to all who stood against him, "'Would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? "'Let the one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. "'If he is a god, let him plead for himself, "'because his altar has been torn down.' Therefore, on that day, he called him Jerubbaal, saying, let Baal plead against him because he has torn down his altar. Then all the Midianites and Amalekites, the, the people of the East gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the Valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet and the Abba Azarites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh who also gathered behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. Hey, who tore down our favorite altar to pagan gods? And, and where's Asherah? Gideon's neighbors, they're steamed. They want to kill Gideon. But Gideon's papa, Joash, has the best idea. He says, if your god Baal is so supernatural, let him kill Gideon. That leads him to come up with a nickname for Gideon. He calls him Jeroboam. That means Let Baal plead for himself. Hey, aren't nicknames supposed to be shorter than your real name? Well, the Midianites call for reinforcements from the Amalekites and other children of the east, that means east of the Jordan River, who subsequently cross over the Jordan and set up camp in the valley of Jezreel, about 15 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Gideon calls up troops from the northern tribes of Manasseh, his own tribe, and then also Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So here we have the stage is set for battle. Incidentally, you'll notice that Gideon did not call upon Ephraim to supply troops for this battle. This omission is taken as a tribal insult and a verbal confrontation between Gideon and Ephraim's leadership later on in Judges chapter 8. In verses 36 through 40, we read about Gideon's fleece. Verse 36, so Gideon said to God, "'If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said,' Look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you shall save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so, when he arose early the next morning and squeezed his fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece, let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Well, Gideon here devises a test for God. And by the way, don't try this at home. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. We don't need a fleece. Gideon, though, takes a fleece of wool and spreads it out on the ground in the open air. If God wants him to lead this battle, he should make the fleece wet with the dew while the ground remains dry all around. And that's exactly what happens. But Gideon, he's not altogether satisfied. He requests that God reverse it the next night. Dry fleece, wet ground. Bingo! That's it. He's convinced we're going to battle. In Judges chapter 7, we find the unusual fashion in which Gideon pairs down his army. In Judges chapter 7, beginning now with verse 1. Then Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod. So the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, This one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, every one who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. (laughs) What a way to select your special forces. Gideon starts with 32,000. 22,000 say they're afraid and they're given a draft exemption, leaving only 10,000. Incidentally, being fearful was a valid basis for exemption, according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8. Still too many, though, with that 10,000. God tells Gideon that the people will think they did it on their own with 10,000 troops going to battle. So how about a test to pare it down? Well, this is the who drinks water like a dog test. In other words, if you lap water like a dog, go home. Those who cup their hand and dip water out by their hand, they're invited to stay. Gideon ends up, by God's command, with an army of only 300. That's a funny test, don't you agree? When the battle's over, though, the people must know it was God's deliverance and not by their own hand. So why the lap water test? Well, opinions differ. Most students of the Bible assume that those who cup their hand and uh, dip water for drinking were probably chosen because they were careful and deliberate. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus, he conjectured that those who lapped like a dog were fearless, and those who dipped their hands in the water were cowards. His conjecture is that God used 300 cowards to defeat the enemy. But actually, we aren't told in Scripture why this test was used. So then the battle plan in verses 9 through 18 of chapter 7. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pyrrha, your servant. And you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pyrrha, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Malachites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I've had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, "'Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand.' Then he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, "'Look at me, and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do.' When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Okay, so here we find that Gideon has a battle plan. Do what, Gideon? I mean, do you realize that there are thousands upon thousands of enemy soldiers down there? Well, let's review verse 12. It says, Now the Midianites and the Malachites... All the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. But Gideon, he heard a dream. That's right. That very night, the Lord had sent Gideon over to eavesdrop on the enemy when Gideon overheard a dream that included in the interpretation by his fellow soldier, Gideon himself prevailing in battle. It's a battle plan devised from hearing a guy tell scary stories around a campfire emboldened and oozing with confidence after discovering that the enemy troops were authentically frightened at the thought of engaging Israel in battle, Gideon heads back to his own camp, rouses the troops, and goes over the strategy. So here's the battle plan. With three platoons of 100 each, we're going to scare them with lanterns and trumpets. (laughs) You call that a battle plan? That's almost as ridiculous as marching around Jericho seven times. If this works, there's no question, it's God. Now, notice one thing. One hand with a lantern and the other with a horn. That's both hands accounted for. With which hand do they actually wield their swords? Well, therein lies the miracle. They won't be needing swords. God will do the sword work for them. In verses 19 through 25, we see how this strategy turned out. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing, and they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the three hundred blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. And the army fled to Beth Acacia toward Zerubbam, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabith. And the men of Israel gathered together from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh, and pursued the Midianites. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the mountains of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, and seized from them the watering-places as far as Beth-bara and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and seized the watering-places as far as Beth-bara and the Jordan, and they captured two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeeb they killed at the winepress of Zeeb. They pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan." So it's around midnight, that's the beginning of the middle watch, and the enemy's all bedded down for the night. Big day planned for tomorrow. Suddenly the trumpets blow, the lanterns flash on from every side, and they hear Gideon's troops cry out, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That was one confused bunch of math-challenged Midianites. In their confusion, they turn on each other with their swords. Gideon then calls for the Israelite reinforcements to come in and finish off the job. Ephraim jumps into the conflict at this point, rounding up Midianite fugitives fleeing Gideon and his army. They captured and slew two of the Midianite princes, Oreb and Zeab. These princes of the Midianites lost their heads literally. I love it when a plan comes together, don't you? And by the way, God did it all with only an army of 300. Well, at this point, the battle's over. But Ephraim's leadership is a little myth that they were involved at such a late date. They'll have something to say to Gideon about this when we get over to Judges chapter 8. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today.